listener production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is shifting violently towards ultimate instant profitability. I'm Scott Phillips. He is Andrew Page. He is, of course, the founder and managing director of strawman.com. He's also a very good bloke. How are you, mate? Thank you, sir. Yeah, I'm very good. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, despite if you can... I'm not sure about this is here. It is raining here and the thunder is really close and very loud. So if you do hear some thunder-like sounds in the background while we record this, it'll be for that reason. But I'm inside and I'm warm and dry, mate. So uh, otherwise, I'm very, very well. Maybe that's very apt given the, uh, the, the <laughs> yeah. economic backdrop. Oh, I like that. I like that. Well, <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, if I'm, if I'm warm and dry, despite the bad news, maybe that, hopefully that's a good sign rather than the reverse. <laughs> if I was out in the rain, it'd be, we'd be in trouble. Like uh, mate, uh, yeah, it's been, been a big week, hey? Yeah. Well, I've got some questions for you, mate, but I, I, my first question, of course, is, is the one that uh, you'll be surprised to hear. I, I am curious, just in passing as we start this podcast, to, uh, to, to, to try and entice from you some very, very important information. I, I'm, I'm just wondering to myself as I introduce you, and I think, uh, Andrew Page, I understand that, and I understand that your business is called Strawman and the website strawman.com, and I know that. I just, I, I, what kind of escapes me, mate, is, is what, what Strawman is. I, I don't know if I've ever really grasped that, that question before. And I thought now of all times, I finally should ask you what Strawman.com actually is. So, so not only does the long running dad gag continue, <laughs> you've somehow managed to like make it even longer. Did you like that? <laughs> uh, we're an online private investment club. I see. I let's see. just, let's just like get a, past it. That sounds like a very good thing. Um, yes, do, do check out strawman.com. Check out fool.com.au as well, my employer. Um, mate, uh, yeah, let's get back to the real news. Uh, massive week. Look, I... <laughs> if Well, let's, let's date stamp it as we always should. We're recording this. Actually, it's exactly midday on Thursday, as I say these words, uh, the 23rd of March. And... Frankly, as per last week and the week before that, any news could break on Friday for all we know. So we're going to have this conversation um, hoping that nothing goes wrong. But that's going to be in the tone of this week. We've, we're waiting for the next shoe to drop. But thus far, touch wood and do all those things that bring us good luck and avoid bad luck and karma and stuff. Thus far, there's been no next bank in the line of, of dominoes. Mm. Silicon Valley Bank falls over, gets ca- caught. Uh, by the regulators and everything's kind of made okay there. Credit Suisse, which frankly had been bumping on the bottom for months and months and months. People have been speculating about its demise for ages. It finally goes to the wall uh, in the event. Again, over last weekend, uh, gets rescued this time by the Swiss National Bank and, and uh, UBS. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it, but it's all very quiet. Are we done? I, I don't. I have no idea. These, you know, these... These things are a gradually then suddenly type affair, Aren't they? you know, and uh, it's been a very short space of time. So I, I, what I think you can say definitively that the, well, there are two, we should probably explain the difference between Credit Suisse and, and SVB. Let's do that. But, but just quickly, I guess I, I would frame it as in the, some of the potential problems or some of the very evident problems at SVB are very likely potential problems at, at other banks. In, in terms right. of um, some liquidity risks, yeah. if, yeah. if and here's the, here's the massive if in the room, <laughs> there are a continuing drain on, on deposits. That's, yeah. that's the question. So it, the, the policy response has been unlimited guarantee. Yeah. You can lend against your, your bonds at par, things we discussed last week. Mm. If that restores confidence, and, and look, so far it feels as though things have, you know, steadied mm. a little bit. So, so maybe it's done the trick. If that's the case... 
um, then maybe, maybe we, we either sort of contain it or at least kick the can down the road a little bit. But it's 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 all about confidence. So if, if there's mm. the, the horses are jittery, if if there is a if there is a bit of a um, any reason to knock that confidence, you could see things again moving moving extremely fast. So I don't know. I hope it's over. What do you think? It, it feels like yeah. I, I'm going to miss my metaphors, mate. It feels like everyone's taking a step back from the precipice, but all the fingers are still on the triggers. Mm. That hair trigger is still very real, right? We yeah. we don't feel as scared as we were. I say we. I don't even mean you and I or anyone really. I mean the the people who do these things. Uh, not as scared as they were, but they're also not that far away from being ready to react in a second. Should there be any 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 sniff, any any sense of you know where there's smoke, there's fire. No one's going to be asking questions. There's going to be a, a shoot first, ask questions later kind of outcome. So, yeah, I, I I'm actually you know I think I I'm gonna, I'll give the regulators a massive rap. Right, I think the regulations suck, have sucked, do suck, probably will keep sucking because. If we learn anything from history, it's that people don't learn from history. So mm-hmm. maybe there's some changes there's probably not going to be, and that would be awful, but that's why we might find ourselves. So the regulations were ordinary. The regulators, maybe, in hindsight, we might say weren't doing their jobs. I don't know whether that'll come out or not. But the the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the 11th hour, you know, full court press, we've got to save this thing before it topples, has been, I think, excellent. I think the, the combined US regulators stepped in to save SVBs, depositors, and... Credit Swiss, the deal got done over the weekend by the Europeans, particularly the Swiss, to to save that business and and stop that contagion. The the thing we're very very worried about is the is that the first domino goes and leads to other dominoes. They've mm. they managed to put enough space between each domino and the next, thus far at least. I don't mm. jinx anything um, to to kind of keep things afloat. So I, I'm really really impressed with the work done by the regulators. Um, we can argue about whether it should be the right thing to do or whether the system is set up correctly. And you and know, I had a bit of a chat about that last week. Um, we got some good feedback, by the way, on that episode. So thank you to those who, who sent us some feedback saying they enjoyed the deep dive. Um, I, yeah, I'm not going to say anything's over, mate. It's, it'd be mad to, to even try to speculate, right? Some people will because it makes them, makes them look smart. Some, someone will say, of course it's over. And then three will say, see, I told you. Or someone will say, see, there's going to be another crash. And then when it happens, I'll say, see, I told you. Mm-hmm. Um, no one knows. No. It's all bravado and bluster. I am reassured that what they seem to have done is to convince those people that need to be convincing the large deposit holders large that we're talking about here that the there is no need for panic because any banking collapse will be dealt with in an orderly fashion and that's exactly what they needed to do in the current structure again notwithstanding the, the potential changes we talked about last week but in the current structure that's exactly what they needed to do to make sure this didn't become a global contagion, or even even a, even a national contagion in those mm. in those countries. So, mm. uh, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed. I, I don't know that it's over. I desperately hope it is. We all desperately hope it is. The market certainly was up strongly t- Tuesday, Wednesday. So, uh, it does seem like the market seems to think the job is over. I still have a little bit of concern. I have to say about uh, the old school, what's old school, 2007 style uh, cross party obligations. So what, what froze the credit markets in 07 was the fact that basically banks held assets that were, if not worthless, worth a lot less. And they also realized they couldn't trust each other to be able to meet payments as and when they fell due. That's what gummed up the system in 07. That wasn't Silicon Valley Bank. This was a straight out liquidity challenge. Credit Suisse, though, feels 2007-ish to me. And I do wonder how many of those transactions, how many of those liabilities or assets they think they have are really real. And yeah. I'm not sure we've seen the end of that bit to be honest I, I, I'm not saying we haven't I just it, 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 it what I, you know what I was worried about with it with uh, UBS and, and Credit Suisse merging was 
it's very see accounting is a wonderful thing our listeners need to know this it's possible for the same transaction to be shown as a profit on two different parties books based on the assumptions the accountants use right so i take a premium but it's not going to be called on so i'm going to make money on that at the, you know, in the in the insurance part, so there's options, and we aren't getting the boring details of it. The other party who who did the deal says, "I'm going to be right about this one." So when I get paid out, I'm going to get all this money. Mm. And at the moment, both parties can actually say, "Believe you don't have to, you don't have to reconcile it, right?" Because it's two separate entities. I can say I made a profitable deal. You can say I made a profitable deal, even though by definition, once it gets settled, we can't both have won. Now, mm. what what worried me with Credit Suisse and UBS is if if Credit Suisse and UBS have done some transactions between them, at some point someone's got to kind of cancel that off because it's now one entity and that's the bit that kind of worries me is if, if UBS thinks Credit Suisse is going to owe it some money or has, has some assets that are worth something uh, I, I do worry a little bit that we might in the next couple of weeks realise that there's some big write downs coming because what they thought were assets on either or both balance sheets once you consolidate them can't both be true they can't both win the transaction uh, if they have to net those off there could be there could be no predictions there could be uh, a sting in the tail yeah, and even without that, there are a lot of unrealized losses on balance sheets that are out there. Yeah. We, we touched on this totally. concept of held to maturity assets, which just get yes. held held on the balance sheet at par, which yeah. US regional banks in particular have loads and loads of that stuff. Yep. Is it is it a loss if you don't report it? It's like, you know, does a tree make a noise <laughs> yeah, if it falls I, in the woods and no one's listening? Exactly. Um, and again, you made the very excellent point that it actually doesn't matter too much if you've yeah. matched your maturities and yes. you, you are holding it too. Because, you know, no matter what happens on, on the market, you well, the, the promise of a bond is you get you get paid the face value back at, at the end of the term. And so right. it, it's only it's only whether the situation points the gun to your head and says you must realize this because you you yes. need the cash and hence hence the liquidity kind of concerns and ultimately potential solvency concerns as well oh, absolutely 100% yes and and that's exactly why I, I mean and you made the point about banks last uh, last week about you know if if 10% of the equity in the banks goes away the banks are worthless mm. that that the, the the question is and it sounds it's it's both it's both ridiculous and completely appropriate at the same time and factual that yeah. <laughs> well that's, that's the thing right but you so it's but it's also kind of what you know. What is solvency? What is liquidity? Right? Like it doesn't. As long as if the security falls, but the the, the mortgage payer still managed to pay off their loan at some point, or you can mm. sell the house for something, mm. then there is no problem. It's only a problem as you say, if and when you go reach for that cash and say, but, but you said you had assets worth X. Mm. They will in time have assets worth X. Mm. They might be X minus something for the next days, weeks, months, years. Yeah. If it's never called for, there's no you know, there's, there's no kind of um, uh, there's no process on which it has to happen. It was kind of. I'm not so convinced, but I haven't done the work because I don't care that much to do the work. But uh, back, in, back in the COVID crash, when, you know, when, when we were worried about house prices falling and that kind of stuff, and banks gave people lots of extensions on their loans and did those things that prevented them from having to foreclose on some of those both business and home loans, had the banks actually kind of held to their own terms and foreclosed on those loans, it actually potentially would have bankrupted the banks themselves. Mm. And so you've got this weird scenario where... If I do, it, it, I'm a bank, if I take one course of action, which arguably was marking it down, is this is this bill likely to be paid? Well, right now, no. If I if I called it now, would it be paid? No. Mm. So I'm not going to call it. So therefore, it's not a problem. It's one of those Schrodinger's cats kind of things. Like you know, it's yeah. both there and not there at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it's really it's it's a really I mean, I I almost I, you know it's almost like a theoretical problem, except it's also really really real. We're talking about billions of dollars here at stake about what this is actually worth. Mm. And so yeah, I think at the. The Credit Suisse stuff, the SOEB stuff, other banks is, that, and that's why the regulators 
confidence restoration was so dramatically important was yeah. the money's not there if depositors want it. So what do you do? You make sure the depositors don't feel like they need to want it. And so they don't. And so the money isn't needed. And so it's all fine. And it's, again, parallel universe. It's Schrodinger's it's, bank. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's either there or not there. It's both at the same time. It depends what happens next. Crazy, but crazy, but true. Hey, there's, there's a few things I wouldn't mind um, digging into a little bit more there because it's easy to right. sort of throw around. Terms, as long as none of them is Bitcoin. <laughs> I promise. Well, no okay, okay. No, I know that's too, too late, too late. Lock but in. the yeah. the you, you mentioned liquidity versus solvency there. Yeah, and they've both got sort of technical definitions. Yeah. Can can yeah. you can for those that aren't familiar with those? I mean, both. No matter what <laughs> one you're talking about, you don't want to hear that your <laughs> bank right. has liquidity. If you, if you have to or work solvency. out which one it is. It's too late. <laughs> yeah. So both are bad. Yes, but what's yes. what's the difference between the two? All right. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to. It's a good question. I'll actually ask you to help me define the terms because I don't. I don't know that I know the specific legal or accounting terms. So I'm going to use the, the the economic layman or the business layman's terms of these kind of uh, terms just to, to help yep. uh, break it apart a little bit. So solvency is the idea that you simply have sufficient uh, ability to meet your obligations when they fall due. More assets so than we talk li- about, liabilities, essentially. Yes, yeah, so we talk about a, a business trading insolvent, for example. We, we hear that term more more regularly. Uh, is you know, at some point, if you say, "I'm not going to be able to pay these bills," I, I literally can't do this. Um, you know, we're getting deeper in a hole. There's no there's no likelihood of getting out of it. We're we're insolvent. We're not able to. And again, think about you know the ability to, as you say, pay the bills. Assets greater than liabilities. I've I've got the I've got the the resources, the firepower, to pay the bills. And you either do or you don't. And that's, that's, that's a measure simply of how much do I have? How much do I owe? As long as what I have is greater than what I owe, I'm okay. I'm solvent. I'm, yes. I'm above water. If yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm below water. If I owe more than I own, then unless there's some reasonably high likelihood of getting more assets some future point, and again, this gets into accounting definitions pretty quickly, uh, then you're insolvent. Now, liquidity yeah. is just, do I have the ready available cash? Is it literally there in the back pocket if I need it, if I need to call on it? So you used the bond example before of a 10-year treasury, you know exactly, short of the US government going broke, you know exactly how much money you're going to get back in 10 years. Mm. You give the government money for 10 years, they give it back to the end of 10 years, plus some interest on the way. You know exactly what that's worth. And frankly, inflation aside, because it doesn't matter in this particular instance, you know how many dollars, how many nominal dollars you will get back at that point. The question of, okay, so, so take, take the example, right? If I had a turn deposit for, uh, let's say, 10 grand, and I put it away for a year, and I've got to pay the electricity bill, and I'm like, Oh, bugger! I didn't realize that was coming. Yeah, you're solving. Uh, I've got, I've got the money. Right, I'm solving. I've got the money. Yeah. But I can't find the liquidity right now because the money's not due for a while, and the bill needs to be paid now. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not liquid. I've had a liquidity problem, and that's why when depositors want the money out of the bank, it's that equivalent of, well, I've, I've got the assets. You gave me this money, and I've got it. I know it's going to come back to me. Mm. I haven't got it right now. That's the old, uh, you know, standover man knocking on the door saying, you know, the, bo- the boss wants the money by, by midnight. Like, I can get it to you, but I haven't got it now. That's exactly what, that's exactly what liquidity is. So it's just the, it's, it, liquidity is a, is a measure of effectively time. Solvency yep. is a measure of worth or weight. And yes, you can't keep lovely. those two thoughts in at the same time. And so thank you for that. And so th- this is what was the, the well, the, the main worry around these US mm. regional banks is the yes. liquidity side. Yes, things. correct. It's correct. just not having them. And it's still bad, by the way. Yes. It's still not yeah, it great, is. but it just it's worth teasing those terms yes. apart because you'll, you'll, Thank you, mate. you may hear more of it. The other one that I w- 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 would <laughs> I be, not, yeah, yeah I, again, no, no, not a prediction. Um, <laughs> I think it's also worth digging a little into 
this idea you said before that if I'm holding a bond to maturity, I can't lose, short of mm-hmm. short of the US government becoming insolvent itself. Yes. Yes. So why do people on the secondary market, people who are trading <laughs> bonds that have already been issued, yes. why are they paying so much less than face value? If it's a guarantee, so so yeah. there's there's a, a bond with a, a face value of $100 and yes. in 2027, I'm going to get that $100 back and I know exactly yes. what coupon, which is a fancy way of saying interest, yep. I'm going to get along the way. And yet the market's saying, I'm only going to pay 60 bucks for that. It feels like, well, wait a sec, I pay 60 now, putting <laughs> yeah, the interest rate right. aside, I'm going to get 100 bucks in, what did yeah. I say, four years or something like that. Yes. yes. Now, the market's not that silly. So what's, what's, what's the, how do you square that circle? I'm tempted to uh, make you answer your own question, Andrew, if you asked me the last question. Do you want to first go at this or would you like me to? I, I'm answer? really, uh, yeah, it feels like I'm trying to set you up for a gotcha. I'm honestly not. No, no, I just, no, 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 I think no, no, no. I'm, just, I'm just, I'm trying to share it around. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, well, I think it, it. it's a really fascinating example. It's, like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do it? It's more, it's more straightforward with what they call junk bonds, which is, yeah. you know, ones that aren't rated as highly. You'd be surprised what classifies as a junk bond, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but even, right. even corporate bonds and other sort of, you know, things below AA or whatever, yeah. um, it, it is, there is an implicit risk that you don't ever get it back, right? That's and that, So there's, yes. that, that's, e- that's an easier explanation. And in theory, you want a home straight for that risk. Yes. But then on top of that, so you get the high interest rate, but the closer you get to the chance of not getting it back, you, the interest rate is, the, is, is decided at the time of issuing the bond. So you say, okay, yeah. well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in Phillips and Page uh, left, left-handed golf clubs incorporated. And we say, well, we need some money. You're like, well, I'm not stupid enough to give you guys money. Or we'll give you 20% for it. Okay, okay, you can have my money. Yes. So you put your $100 and you get your 20%. You think, oh, I'm sweet. And all of a sudden you find out that uh, Phillips and Page actually don't know how to make golf clubs. <laughs> and the first couple of prototypes we made out of uh, bamboo and straw didn't quite work so well. And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh my God, I thought 20% was enough. Yeah. I'm so scared now. I will sell this thing at whatever price I can get just to get myself out of it. So I'm going to, even though I get my 20% interest in theory, I'll take 50 bucks for the $100 bond. I just want out. Yep. And someone else says, oh, I think you're getting that wrong. If I can buy it $50 now, I get a 40% return because mm-hmm. I'm getting the, and we'll get to your question, because they say, well, hang on, it's a, it's a 20% on $100, so I'm getting $20 a year. Mm-hmm. But if I buy that for 50 bucks, I'm talking about $20 a year, that's a 40% return. Okay, well, now I'm interested. I'll, I'll buy that bond. Now, still very risky, mm-hmm. but that's why the bond falls in value because the potential return is not high enough to justify taking it off your hands. Yep. Which takes us to the secondary market. So I took over the answer here, but I'm on a roll. No, please, we'll you, okay. continue. Um, normally I would, I would throw back to you, but so, so think about that. Take, keep that in your mind, right? So you're getting a higher, you're paying a lower price, and getting a higher yield based on the cash that the coupon, the, the, the coupon rate or the, the interest rate is effectively giving you. Now, if you have a 10 year US government bond, I know what they're issued at, but let's say 2%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're getting $2 a year for your 100 bucks, right? So that's, that's, what, that's the deal you did a few, few years ago. All of a sudden now, people are saying, well, if you want the money for that bond, you want it now, because you want it now, because you want it now, I'm not going to pay you $100 for that $100 bond because I can get more than 2% by getting new government bonds. The new mm-hmm. ones being issued today are being issued at 4%. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can buy a US government bond from the US government for $100 and get 4% return. Or you want to sell me yours for a 2% return? No, get stuffed. Mm. And so what you say, what the market works out is, well, if you really want to sell this bond, I want a 4% yield because I can get that myself from the, from the US government. Mm. So if you want me to buy this from you, you're going to have to offer me the sort of yield that I could get elsewhere. And so that, if that, that basically pushes the price down. When we hear about bond prices falling, 
That's exactly what happens. Mm. The, the buyer is only going to buy it if they get a 4% return or something close enough to it. Mm. So the price just moderates to make sure that whatever, whatever the buyer is paying, they get a 4% return. Now, the math is easy because I've used some easy examples. A $100 bond with a 2% return, if you want a 4% return and buying that from someone who already owns it, you're only going to pay 50 bucks because you want the 4% return. That's what you want. Now, if you, fl- if you play that through, that results in a, uh, a much lower bond yield. Now, again, if you wait and get the money back from the US government in the end of the 10 years, you get your full $100 back. But your point about liquidity before is if you want that liquidity, what do you have to do? You have to take the money now. So that's why liquidity becomes an issue all of a sudden. Yeah, mate, well explained. Uh, one other wrinkle, um, particularly with the longer dated bonds, mm. is there's an inflation angle to it as well. Yeah, so there's yeah. nominal versus real purchasing powers. I mean, That's true. I know inflation's pretty hot at the moment, but it's probably not a, a, a dominant factor mm. Mm. Um, directly, at least for a six-month bill yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it does go to show you, what's the word for it? The peculiar... <laughs> Uh, nature of 100-year bonds. During a yeah, couple of years ago, was yeah. it the Swiss or someone issued 100-year bonds with 0.35% interest? Madness, hey? Now, it's all good and well to say, oh, it's okay, I'm going to wait to maturity. Now, <laughs> if, if history is any guide, yeah, yeah. you're going to get your 100 nominal face value back in 100 years, but you'll probably have like $8 then of, of purchasing power. extraordinary that yeah. anybody would buy. I don't, I, it's... I good good on if you're, if you're a company or a company you can issue it and get paid like why wouldn't you I mean it? brilliant if yeah, you, I, mean, I would yeah, if I can, yeah. if you want to give me if you want to borrow if you want to lend me a million bucks mate <laughs> that's right and I promise to pay it back in a hundred years let's let's talk <laughs> at zero percent right? interest zero point three five percent interest like, yeah let's talk is, so it, but it was just I mean it was and people said it at the time it's yeah, like yeah, what yeah who is on the other side of this yeah, trade yeah um you know and I guess it's just Mad. you know all, all the usual actors but the 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 mm. expectation I, I suppose was that that in Inflation and interest rates weren't going to take off at any yeah. point over the next hundred years, and, or that they could at least get out before that happened. I don't and know. And at some case, some point, I think it's also. I don't love the the acronym Tina. There is no alternative. But yes. yeah. at some points, when you're so freaked out about the possibility of economic collapse, and if you know that you know that you know you can put your money with, like let's, let's be honest, cash in the bank hasn't exactly been the most secure thing over the last couple <laughs> of weeks. Um, you know, if you, if you can put your money with some entity. A government entity that, that you know backstop something you kind of think well at least it's there you know at, yeah. at least at least and i i mean honestly in the hundred years of inflation and, and, a, and, a, and a tiny trade it's only arguably there because there is relative over 100 years when inflation is whatever it is as you say if it becomes eight dollars 100 years time you think well you could have invested anywhere else and lost 90 percent of it still come out ahead you know you could have reinvested that that process if, if you invested in something i don't know i'm gonna make this up but if you invested in something lost 90 percent of its value immediately and then took that leftover ten dollars and invested it at some sort of reasonable compound return for the ne- for the next ninety nine and a half years. You'd still end up with more money. Like it, <laughs> it, it, it is it is bizarre. But there you go. The um, the decision making of some people it, it's it's fear, right? That, I mean, think about extreme fear. That's exactly what that is. Like, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm so scared right now. No one's going to criticize me for what well, we are. But you know, no one's going to blame me for putting money with the Swiss government or the American government or the whatever because at least I'm getting. A, some sort of return and at least I know my money's there and see how safe it is look at this goes back to a point I, I, I've made many times Morgan Housel actually a great writer makes it better which is um, sometimes the biggest risk is not taking enough risk Yeah, and, and in that kind of scenario that's, that's what they're going to find out in 100 years time some poor bloody fund manager is going to have that mature and go gee thanks Jack I really appreciate you leaving me this 
you know, thing that's worth absolutely nothing. What what were you thinking? Mm. Um, it is it is yeah. Financial markets are funny things. And by the way, that 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 you know, losing ninety five percent of your purchasing power isn't under a hyperinflation scenario. That's just yeah, two yeah, 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 percent yeah. a year for a hundred years. Like what it's, it does. it's yep. it's it's absolute crazy. I mean, in in hindsight, as you say, it depends on what lens you want to look at this through. There is an argument to be said that the Australian government couple of years ago should have done the same issued mm-hmm. as much as they could the market would possibly bear because they'd mm-hmm. get all yeah, yeah. of that oh. money now and provided they yeah, this is the big if mate you could you could debate what it needs to be spent on but imagine imagine the infrastructure the services everything oh, that could be provided absolutely. with that at virtually free yeah. virtually free and so it's kind of like okay you can question the rationale of whatever idiot thought this was a good idea to buy but if if, if there are plenty of idiots out there willing mm-hmm. to give you money under those terms Take it. It's um maybe that's a bit harsh because they'll, they'll they'll force no, a lot of it no. onto retail well, investors. Yeah, like, you know, how do you do with it? But yeah, I, yeah. I made so this is this is a bit of a thing. I don't know if I've ever made this point on the podcast, mate. I certainly made it on Twitter um, quite a few years ago now, and it was when in, when rates were tiny, and I I made the argument somewhat somewhat kind of off the cuff, but I'm still I'm still yet to see someone properly debunk it or disagree with it in, in a material way, making change my mind. When rates were close enough to what one and a half percent, two percent government bonds, whatever they were at that point, less than that, right? Because it was the official cash rate was two, so whatever, whatever it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, or point one, sorry. Let's say the Australian government could have borrowed at one percent. Why wouldn't they have gone and bought every single profitable mining company in the country <laughs> when BHP, Rio, Fortescue share prices were through the floor? The mm. shares were yielding five or six percent. You could mm. borrow at one percent. You could buy back the farm. I don't mean this in a jingoistic. You know, no foreign investment kind of thing. I just literally mean, you could you could borrow at one percent, get a yield of six percent, six times income would be, and you're getting firstly businesses that were objectively, I think, not particularly expensive. Don't have to have to be cheap because you, you, you're already six times your money, right? Yeah. Objectively inexpensive, and the full value of all those resources forever. What and a masterstroke! I'm not. Well, I'm, mm. I, I made the I, not, not, I made not the necessarily in, in, in making it public versus private or anything like that, but just sheer the investment right? potential. Just, yeah. yeah, just just the sheer dollars. Like it, it I, yeah. and you know, people said, "Well, governments can't run things well," and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. There's a whole lot of ideology and expectation there. But even if even if it's true, buy, could have just been a silent shareholder, though, right? By forty nine percent of it, by fifty one percent of it, do whatever. Like seriously, and it just wow. And I know at some point governments getting involved in private markets owning assets gets a bit messy and murky and you wonder kind of what is the role of government. There's there's some ideological, philosophical conversation to have. But I'd made a, again, to your point, probably more appropriate, right? Infrastructure, social service, actually things that we need. Mm. But even that aside, you could, have, you could have bought BHP, got a 60% yield, so six times your interest bill. Yep. You do that for long enough, then you paid off the principal in, in you know, yeah. years. Like, I, Money I for jam. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I don't get it, mate. I, I really, truly, I, I guess it's probably too radical for for the the mandarins in in Canberra or in or in the state capitals. But I, it just it was just the most obvious thing in the world. I, I don't yeah. know if you've got if you've got and you've got taxpayer money, like your income source. You're, sorry, the ability to service that loan is unquestioned because you can effectively do whatever you want with the tax money of the country within reason without being overthrown. You or can make up your own money beyond that. Right, well, well there's yeah. that too, I suppose, yeah. But, you know, like, it's, I just, I don't, anyway. So it just seemed really, really obvious to me. And I've still yet to hear someone convincingly say, no, that wouldn't work because X. It's just, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there's so much more I want to unpack <laughs> and what we were talking about before. The, the other one, the other thing that I think was interesting in, uh, delineating between Credit Suisse and and SVB mm. 
was where the quote-unquote bailout came from. What, what I think shocked a lot of people, John Hempton wrote a really mm. good blog post on this actually, right. was that there were a whole bunch of uh, uh, hybrid security holders, mm-hmm. and we should just talk about what, what those yep. instruments are, and you, you can buy them as a, as a retail investor, mm-hmm. um, what, why you would do that, what are the pros and cons are. But what happened nice. was effectively they got wiped out like they just basically said, no, nah, we're not going to honor it. Yep. Um, and a lot of people taken by surprise, not, not the man in the street, mm. like sophisticated institutional investors yep. were taken yep. Yep. by, and what was interesting about John's article was he, all he did was just bring up their own presentations <laughs> and, the, and the prospectus prospectuses, right, where right. it says in black and white, we can wipe you out if we want to. Yeah. And, and equity holders rank ahead of you. So it's sort of like it, it does. <laughs> sometimes you really do think there are no adults in the room. This isn't some, this was, this was sort of written in, in black and white. But tell me, mm. what is a hybrid security? <laughs> and then maybe this is too big, a, too big a questions to sort of mm. lump together. But also when a company goes under mm. forcibly or, uh, or otherwise, <laughs> there's a line out the door in terms of creditors, even in situations of insolvency, you sort of sell all your assets, Mm -hmm. there's there's a little bit of residual amount left. And then you say, yeah, how do you break it up? And so some, some investors get, get to the front of the queue and Mm -hmm. others are at the back. So yeah, uh, unpack that for us. I ask the questions around here, pal. Uh, I will. I will do my level best. I ask not, you because because yeah. they're not always straightforward. I'm not, I'm not as confident on this answer. This one, I'll, I'll let you uh, let you jump in. So, a hybrid security. So, hybrid being a bit of this and a bit of that. Uh, the kind of the word hybrid. That's kind of mm-hmm. what it is because a hybrid security, and it's called a security for is not a hybrid bond or a hybrid share, because mm-hmm. it is some weird Frankenstein's monster between those two things. It has some elements of equity of shares and some elements of debt. And generally speaking, all hybrids are different, but generally speaking, and banks are are experts at this. Um, We'll have listeners out there, probably a few listeners, more than a few listeners with with bank hybrids in their their portfolios. You are supposed to get a, uh, nothing's guaranteed. You're supposed to get a a stated or a a, um, uh, promised rate of return. Pre-commit to the rate of return. Right. Dividends sort of, the, the board decides on the policy each year and, you know. Right. But, so you but might get, exactly. So you, you, might, you, might, you might invest in a high, uh, National Australia Bank hybrid that pays 4.5%. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, you know, that, that's debt, right? That's, that's effectively, you are, you are lending the bank money. They're going to pay you back an agreed rate of interest. It's, mm. it's kind of a fixed loan of, of sorts. Where it's more like shares, though, is that they often have the ability to be turned into equity under some pre-agreed conditions at a pre-agreed, often a pre-agreed price. And I don't want to, I, I can't be too absolutely generic about this because every hybrid's got different terms and that's why it's important. You made the point about what was in those those documents, right? If you'd asked us to say, well, what, is a, what was a bank bond? We would have said uh, two weeks ago, oh, it's, it's this and it has this and it ranks to your second question about creditors. It ranks in a certain position in the uh, the hierarchy and they will get their money back before shareholders. What we would, you and I, I would have said anyway, what was your yep. I would have said, if someone said, what about this credit Swiss bonds? I would have said, oh no, the bonds rank above shareholders. They'll, they'll, they'll be fine. Shareholders get wiped out, but mm. bondholders have got a chance of getting paid. Anyway, so these hybrids have a combination of both. They are, they have to give you the opportunity to get a, again, not guaranteed, but a pre-committed rate of return and the chance for them to convert to shares at a given point at a given price. 
Can yeah. you help me and color that anymore, mate? Or have I, or no, I think that? that's right. I mean, they, they, they are they are non-standard instruments, yeah. really. You can you can build them however you like. And here's the deal: do you want it or do you not want it? And and so there's a there's a lot of nuance. But in terms of a high level, I think you're absolutely right. Why would someone choose that over a straight straight out equity? Well. You touched on it. You know, there's there is a, a predefined rate of return there. So short short of NAB in your example going insolvent, um, that's the return that you're going to get. The general rule in investing um, is that risk equals return. It's a horrible mm-hmm. way of putting it, but that's how yeah, it's sort yeah, of yeah. phrased. And so you are taking uh, less risk potentially with a hybrid. At least that's how it would be. That's how it would be positioned. But the hope for equity holders would be, it was like, I don't know exactly what the dividend is going to be paid out next <laughs> right, year. Exactly. But my hope is, is that as the, you know, if, if the history yes. is any guide, they'll raise the dividend and over time I'll actually get a better rate of return. Mm-hmm. And some people, a lot of people will go, oh, actually, I, I like the bond element of it, but I also want, I want potential equity ownership if, if I can get it um, on a set date. So it's mm-hmm. just... Horses for courses. Yes. I, I guess my question for you is, is if anyone listening out there, is, you know, and they're particularly, <laughs> maybe they're in retirement and particularly mm-hmm. focused on income, mm-hmm. is this something that they should um, examine a bit more? So we, we should go into the order of... Um, oh, yes. Uh, yes. I, I, only because the other thing about hybrids is because they are part debt and part equity, they also rank differently to either of those two things in that, in that hierarchy order. Mm-hmm. And so they do offer you in theory, an Australian bank hybrid, more protection, more claim on the bank's assets than shares do, but not as much as a secured loan. Mm. And so that's why when you, the, your question is right, because we'll get back to whether people should buy them, I think, if that's okay. Um, mm. But let's start with where they rank, because generally speaking, if you were to wind up a company tomorrow, if, if Page and Phillips, left-hand golf club manufacturing business gets wound up tomorrow, uh, the administrator will walk in and say, you blokes, you idiots, what the hell were you doing? Get out. We'll say, okay, really sorry. Here's the books. And they'll say, thank you very much. Uh, the, the auditors, or sorry, the auditors, the administrators will look at the books, find out what assets we have. They'll sell them all off one way or another. They may try and keep the business going. So they might do that. But let's, let's assume they don't. They sell all the assets off. Um, and they go, right, we've got all the money from the assets we've sold off. We've got a big full bank account now. Who gets the money? Mm-hmm. And they will start on a pre-agreed legally based generally except for this credit risk example uh legally based uh order and they'll start with secured creditors if you so think about a mortgage right when you take out a mortgage the bank gives you the money to buy the house and they get security over your home in other words if something goes wrong they say thanks give us the keys off you go we'll sell the house take the money so they have security they're secured creditor they have security over the house if i was bankrupted tomorrow the bank would say, well, I get the house at least. You, the rest of your creditors can divvy up whatever's left. But I'm, I'm a secured creditor. I have security over that asset. They come first. Next, generally, comes the unsecured creditors. And think about this. When you think about a, a, a car loan versus a personal loan, if you take a car loan out with a bank to buy a car, generally, they'll say, great, thank you. If you don't pay, I've got security over the car. Mm. If you take a personal loan out to buy the car, you're saying, I want to borrow the money, please. I'll pay it back, promise. But you don't have a, you don't have access to the title of the car. You can't just take the car itself as no collateral for the loan. Collateral, mm. that's the right word, correct? Mm. So that that would be an un, so a car loan is a secured loan. A personal loan is an unsecured loan. Now it's a riskier loan to make because you are next in that line of creditors, and usually as a result, the bank will charge more interest to reflect that the, the ultimate unsecured debt at the ultimate uh, pecuniary uh, usurious interest rate is credit cards. 
Mm-hmm. Right? That, that is unsecured debt because you're going to say, they'll say, spend on whatever the hell you want. Don't have to tell me about it. I don't care. Just pay me 20%. And if, you know, I'll, I'll bear the risk. Mm. And then after you finish that, we would say, Andrew and Scott would say, as, as 50% shareholders in Page and Phillips, left handed golf clubs, um, if there's any money left, uh, we, we, we'd like what's left, please. And we're entitled mm. to that. As shareholders, we're entitled to that money, whatever's left. Very, very rarely is there anything left by definition, because that's why these companies tend to go into administration. Mm. If, you, if you own shares of a company that get wound up on the ASX, you might get a couple of cents a share if you're really, really lucky. Pennies on the dollar, rare. as right. they say. But it's very mm-hmm. rare. So that's the, that's the broad order. Hybrid mm. securities we just talked about sit somewhere in between. You're not a secured mm. creditor. You're not a shareholder. Mm. You're somewhere in between. And so that's... So let's let's do Credit Suisse's bonds first, mate, and then we'll come back. Can I just make one, one oh, quick please, comment? Yeah, Anyone listening to that who tends to be a little bit risk averse, I think the thing that you probably want to say there is... The thing that the thing that you probably want to say there is, go, well, I, I want less risk, right? Yeah. So that says good. The trouble is, is by the time that hierarchy matters, mm. it's... T- it's too late. It's not as right. though one gets made exactly. whole and yes. the other one isn't. So you, you can understand it's just like, mm-hmm. well, it just it's safer. But mm-hmm. by the time that that element of extra safety comes into play, it's already extremely bad news for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like yep. you're yep. going to get away with it. And, every, <laughs> and everyone, every equity holder is there. They're going to they're the ones who cop all the loss, and you yes. cop nothing. You'll yeah. cop a loss as well because. Mm. Yeah, so I just I just want to make that point. I think that no, that's a good point, mate. It gets that's how they get advertised. Oh, you're much safer. You line up ahead of other creditors, like <laughs> yeah. But at that point, it's yeah. bad for everyone. It's just less bad for me. It's, so now yeah. in this case, though, and this is where Credit Suisse is important because they are different. That circumstance is different to every other circumstance. They basically the the, the bondholders. There was rules in that to say, hey, if and when you stop, uh, you know, if, if the bills come due. Uh, normally, the bondholders are made whole, and then if there's any left over, the shareholders get it. These bonds were specifically, as you've already said, written such that they didn't bring with it the usual claim that a bondholder would assume, which is, I will rank above shareholders. Mm-hmm. There was a clause in there. I believe, mate, I, you've read the blog post and you've probably read more about it than I have. I believe it was put in under the, with the insistence of the central banks of Europe, which basically said, you yes, must, you must yeah. put a rule in or a line in that contract which says, yeah, you know how bonds have an extra claim or, or rank above shells? Yeah, not these ones. These ones don't count. Sorry, dudes, you're out. Yep. And it's what they call a bail-in, yes. which is another term that needs a bit of clarification as well as opposed to a bail-out. As in, it's the people <laughs> right. on the inside that are bailing right. you out. In, right, yeah. exactly. And this is... This is why, and, and because you make different. the liabilities of the counterparty, of the issuer, mm-hmm. go away. Correct. So that, Correct. that helps the bail out. Which is why they do it, right? It, it's yes. basically extinguishing those liabilities to put the company on a shore of footing. You don't owe those debts anymore. The debts are, the debts are effectively wiped out entirely. There's still a shareholder base. The business still exists. But uh, it, it's, it's, you're, in, you're, in a, you're in a much better place. I, um, the, the one thing I think for when it comes to the Credit Suisse bonds and why this is, I think, fascinating, and, and come to go back to the hybrids a little bit, is I reckon, I reckon that anyone who bought a Credit Suisse bond over the last whatever number of years they were issued for, I reckon they've gone, yeah, 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 sure, but it's not going to happen, is it? Mm. And it's almost the reverse of the 100-year bonds we were talking about before, 100-year government mm. bonds, which is, on one hand, it's like, oh my God, I can't imagine anything being worse than, I, I'll take whatever deal I can get to put some money aside, right? Mm. The reverse then became true X years later, where people went, I mean, that, that, that line's there, but it's never going to happen, isn't it? I mean, what, what are the odds the, the you know, European Central Bank say, no, you're out? 
it's not going to happen. So yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And on one hand, you know, the, the things that we, and back almost to the Australian bank scenario, the things that we assume couldn't possibly happen, can't possibly be true, because either we don't want to think about it, we can't imagine the circumstances, or because it's never happened before. Hmm. Those are the things that, that's, that's why those things are, I want to say black swans, not exactly black swans, but that's why they come up, because everyone goes, yeah. oh, that's not going to happen. Of course mm. it won't, because it, 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 I can't imagine it happening. That'd be terrible if it did. So mm. I'm going to assume it can't. And that's, it's almost, they're almost those two sides of exactly the same coin, I think. Yeah. Yep. And just another reminder that even the safest assets can, can you know, bonds and whatever can, can right. carry risk. And, you know, it should certainly some of these, these people who are taking these instruments on mm. should, should have known better. But again, uh, equity holders in Credit Suisse, they're, they're essentially wiped out. Mm. Um, cents on the dollar. Uh, it's it's pretty scary. And the other thing, or you should have said this right at the start, the, the, the difference between SVB and, and Credit Suisse is, is in large part the, the magnitude of it. This is it is classed as one of I think the thirty in within the top thirty globally systemically important banks. So SVB <laughs> yeah. failing definitely had potential contagion effects, and that's why policymakers rushed to react so quickly. Yeah. Yes, but it's exactly. easier to contain, you know. Correct. It, correct. It, but but if if there's the same issue with Credit Suisse, the, the magnitude is so mm-hmm. radically, radically, radically different. Um, so the next thing that, that, that we have to kind of, I guess it ties <laughs> into all of this is that um, overnight we had um, Jerome Powell come out and lift the mm. official interest rate uh, in the US by 25 basis points, a quarter mm. of a percent. Um, and so the, the reason why I think it's a bit of a segue is because on, on, on one hand, they in, re, in response to these issues, mm. They have had to inject massive amounts of liquidity right. and, and do all this stuff. And you would also argue that a big cause of the problem was the magnitude and pace of past rate increases. Mm. That's mm. why the bonds went down. That's what correct, caused correct. That's right. yeah. the solvency and, and, and liquidity kind of yes. concerns. Yes. So the, the, the last time the Fed sort of spoke, it was sort of like, we only care about inflation. We'll do whatever it takes. Mm. We're going to put, mm. put interest rates up all the way. And now um, it's sort of like, well, maybe yeah. The usual, the usual um, refrain is that you, the Fed continues to lift until it breaks something, and in a way, it wants to break something, right? Because mm. the whole point is to sort of suck demand out of the system and slow things down, even if it means putting lots of people in unemployment, which is mm. kind of a bit bizarre when, when you when you really think about it. But that's that's what they're trying to do, and yet, and so everyone thought, well, they're much more likely to to. Uh, pause potentially even now, but they didn't. They they put it up. So on, on, they they've got their two big levers here. One of sort of where they can inject liquidity. The other what they can do in terms of influence things with interest rates. But they mm. seem to be moving in different directions. One very accommodating and one very restrictive. Is that an unusual thing? How do you how do you yeah look at that? It's a fascinating question, mate, because. A bit like SVB, the liquidity, the provision of the liquidity probably means it's not going to be required. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, the, the, the idea of giving someone a blank check. So, so you know, why, why are people freaked out? They're freaked out because maybe the banks can't pay the bills. Mm. So what you do is say, I promise the banks will be able to pay their bills. And it goes, oh, okay, cool. Well, like, everything's okay then. Mm. You know, if you look at Silicon Valley Bank again, for example, the people, the entities who buy SVB's business will probably buy both the loan book and the deposits. They'll probably go in together and there'll probably be very little in the way of actual loss value overall, despite the fact that the US government and its regulatory bodies effectively guaranteed all of those deposits. Yeah. Now, do they put any money into that? No, not as far as I'm aware. They just said, if it comes to it, we'll do it. 
they went, oh, well, then they're worth something then. Okay, cool. And therefore the loans are worth something because the loan quality was good. Okay, that's cool. So what did the US government actually do? Well, probably nothing. Or if they do, it's a, a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the amount of deposits in the bank. With Credit Suisse, same thing. Here's a line of credit if you should need it to, we talked about, by the way, liquidity before. This, this is effectively a liquidity thing. If, if you've got some bills to pay and you can't pay them out of your cash, you can use some of this money if you need it. Mm. And it literally just gives everyone enough breathing space to normalize everything else, to avoid those mismatched maturities, all, this, all the stuff we talked about last week and, and so far today. That's kind of how it all, it all plays out. Now, hmm. in terms of rates, I think it's hard to, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but it's hard to, we say the, the Fed caused it, and I guess to some degree that's true. The cause, of course, was stupid bankers who didn't allow for the fact that rates wouldn't stay that low forever. In mm. echoes, by the way, of the Australian mortgage. When, when people say, I've heard, the, I, I hate this. I've heard this on Twitter and other places. Oh, people are stupid if they thought the rates were going to stay that low and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. People were probably wrong if they thought rates were going to stay that low. But guess what? So did really, really, really highly paid, expensive bankers right around the world think exactly the same. That's why Credit Suisse and SVB got themselves in trouble. Mm. So mm. did the Fed cause it? I mean, I guess by definition in, in one way. But then what's what's a cause and what's not, right? The, if rates were going up anyway, the cause of it was rising rates, maybe. I would I would actually say that that's, that's environmental. The cause was stupid bankers not allowing for the fact that rates actually could increase. You know, that's mm. if, if, you, if you hit your entire business wagon too, but like borrowers have done, oh, I'll be fine if rates don't increase. We'll just do it anyway. It's like, that's a really, really, you know, as I said, the, the largest small word in the English language is if. Mm. You know, I, I don't know. It, it, did the Fed cause it? Yes. Did they really cause it? I don't think so. Was that was that was that an answer to your question, or did you did you want something different? No, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, isn't it? The the I have heard some people complain. It's just like, yeah, but you said you wouldn't, and that's got echoes of what yeah. happened here. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. Said yes, exactly, interest rates exactly. aren't going up to twenty four, and and everyone said, but you said it wouldn't. It's like, well, one, don't listen to their forecast because they're always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But that's that's sort of yeah. So it, you it. It, everyone likes a villain to point to, and it's it's more nuanced <laughs> and complicated than, than correct, that. So I, correct. I, think, I think you make a good point. They did. They did. Um, in terms of when we talk about liquidity, it wasn't so much in having to bail out depositors, mm. but what they did inject a lot of money in through was that repurchase plan at par. Yeah. So in terms of people being able to lend borrow against very I think it was 0.1% mm-hmm. 0.1% mm-hmm. above the official cash rate for 12 months on your bonds held at par and in that regard mm-hmm. I think quite a bit of money was was provided by by the Fed and mm-hmm. and by the Federal Deposit Insurance uh, uh, Corporation company commission commission um, uh, so where am I going with all of this um, what Okay, and here's, here's the other thing that I wanted to get to. In markets and economics, bad news can be good news and good news can be bad news. So if, and, and what did change with Powell's statement was, okay, we're putting it up, but he really seemed to strongly hint that, mm, yeah, we're getting close to the end here mm. as well. Mm. And why are you getting close to the end? Well, un, according to their own forecast, they're expecting in unemployment to rise by 1%, I think it is, mm. by the end of the year. Very, very low levels. Mm. But it kind of implies... The, well, why do you forecast that? Well, because they forecast the economy to be mm-hmm. in a lot worse shape or facing more difficult conditions. So a a reasonable interpretation would be, oh, wait, the economy's going to get worse. Oh, that's got to be bad for the share markets. Right, right, right. But counterintuitively, it's like the markets go, woohoo, lower interest <laughs> yeah, rates. That's right. It's weird. So prices it? go up. 
It's a strange old world. Again, I'm asking you to square lots of different circles here, but do you want to yeah. have a chew on that and see how you go? Because <laughs> so it, it's think, a bit befuddling. Yeah, you're right. And this is... this is and Well, the first, thing I, the first thing I would say, mate, honestly, is trying to explain with logic what markets do is probably the first mistake, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the politicians thing and reject the premise of your question because yep. when you say, you know, what, 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 is, what, is, what is fundamentally wrong with the economics that the market realises is, is, you know, is doing, so maybe the market's wrong. So I, you, we should always start with, not the market is wrong, maybe the market's wrong is probably a good, yep. a good starting point. Yep. Um, but you, you're absolutely right, man. This is, uh, and, and we should get on rates in a minute because the US Fed only raised rates again last night with, and in the face of, by the way, a week ago, people saying, oh, they're going to have to cut rates hard to you know, lower the pressure on the banking system, or they're going to have to pause mm. at least. And Jerome Powell went, no, no, we're, we're cool, we're going up. Mm. Uh, so, so there's that. I think, you know, the, the and the, uh, yeah, I, 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 the market response to it is, is the one that kind of gets me. I, I'm, I'm tripping up over that because at some, at some point, uh, in fact, at every point, the market overreacts. The, the, the story of the share market is it being roughly right over a long enough period of time interspersed with periods of overreaction in both directions. Mm. You know, the COVID crash, the the 07 peak before the GFC, um, you, you know, the, the dot-com boom and bust. Every, you know, seven or eight, 10 years, we get one of these things that happens. Arguably the tech boom over the last, you know, two and a half years and the subsequent bust. It may well be in hindsight, another one of those. So, you know, is the market right? I don't know. Uh, generally speaking, interest rates have two impacts. They obviously... Uh, make debt more expensive. We know that. Uh, but they also, cha- as they go up, make assets uh, or they push down the price of assets. And it comes down to uh, some boring algebra that we're not going to go into. But effectively, the idea is if you can get a better return in government, risk-free government bonds, why invest in shares? Yeah, so give, me, give me a 10% risk-free... IOU from right. the safest issuer on the planet. Right. Or, you know, why, why am I going to try and invest in shares, which tend to give about a 10% over the long term as well, which have all the risks and volatility? It doesn't make now, any so sense. So the answer is you, you want to get a 15% return if the, if the risk rate's at 10. How do you get a 15% return? Go kind of back to bonds, funnily enough, that we talked yep. about before. You, Same you know, principle. For, for, for a given level of profitability, if I want a higher percentage return, I have to pay a lower price mm-hmm. for that dollar of profit. So the PE has to come down to give me a better return. So instead of buying a, you know, a, a, a share with a dollar of profit, for ten dollars, the P of ten, I want a P of fifteen now. All right. Mm. Well, for that dollar of profit, I'm gonna. Oh, sorry, P of seven. I should say. So I'm, I'm gonna buy. Um, I'm gonna buy it for for seven dollars rather than ten dollars. So I'm gonna push the price down, or the market will, until it gets the return it wants mm. at a given level of profitability. And that's why that 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 matters. So the interest rates have that impact in both senses. The challenge, I think, when it comes to then the market's reading of it is that's true. But the profitability of these businesses, I know we're kind of drawing, you know, sort of turtles on turtles, but the profitability mm. of those businesses is governed also by those interest rates. Mm. And so if rates go down, what does that do to the profitability of these companies and the asset price and everything else that goes with it? So it is all, and by the way, banks are different again because banks tend to make more money when rates go up because mm. their their stock in trade, their inventory is money. And so the higher rates are generally the more room there is for more margin. So it's also yep. different in different parts of the market just to make things really, really more complex than it needs to be. Um, those are the things that all happen at the same time. What's your take? Yeah, I think, I mean, you answered it really well. It's just, I mean, gosh, man, we've been doing this for 20 something years. It just, it's still, 
you find yourself rattling off the standard answers, but every now and again, I sort of catch myself and just try and go, wait a sec, let me think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yep. it's, it, is, it is really counterintuitive. And those who are new to investing, you kind of think, oh, what, what, what? You know, it's hard enough to work out all these other things that I need to try and do as an investor. And now I've got to layer upon all this, these things and the, and the counterintuitive second order and third order and fourth order impacts to all of that. It's, it's diabolically um, uh, difficult. So I, I guess, I guess, my take is that um, this is why things like margin of safety and valuation mm, are, are just mm. so important. Is, yep, is I, yep. I, I don't want to be an investor that mm. is reliant on some insanely accurate <laughs> foresight clairvoyance yeah. in knowing all of these various different things yep, um, yep, yep. rather than just sort of saying, here's a reasonable assumption and then saying another reasonable assumption is I'm also wrong. And to account for the fact that I'm probably wrong, I'll just put a bit of extra, you know, um, margin in there. So I'm a, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit more protected in the case that I am. It just means that you're not reliant on, on things unfolding exactly the way as you anticipated at one point in time to make a good return. So things can fall short of where you, where you thought and you still be okay because you sort of accounted for a little bit of that. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, again, like everything we do, there's cost in that because if you add too much of a margin of safety you often never buy because the price yes, never gets there. exactly exactly and you're sitting on the sidelines going i'd love to buy this company but you know it needs to drop 50 percent for me to buy it you just you never do right so um yeah it's 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 really tough motley fool money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener so i'm gonna i'm gonna Pick on Warren Buffett for a second. I don't do this very, very often. No, but, okay. You know, for all the talk, they, you know, they, they make the jokes about macro. And we've talked about macro and how much time I'd rather spend on it versus how much time we are spending on it because life is weird, right? Yeah. And I think people say, oh, yeah, Buffett wouldn't, blah, blah, blah. I vividly remember, you vividly remember this too. Buffett talking, I want to say, was it, oh, I don't remember what it was now. Was It would have been pre-COVID, I think, on CNBC in the States. And he said, if interest rates stay low, shares are cheap. If interest rates go back up, shares are not cheap. And Buffett then didn't buy anything. Mm. Now, I am going to suggest to you, as I love Uncle Warren to death, right? If he's listening, sorry, Uncle Warren, I apologize. He's not um, listening. He's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> if he's listening, seriously, he's, he should be, yeah, he'd give up. He's got better things to do. Um, uh, the reality is that if he truly believed the macro, uh. then he would have kept buying. What, what his statement did, in my view, I'm going, to, I'm going to put words in his mouth and thoughts in his head, and that's unfair, but I'll do it anyway. I can't escape the view, the belief, that he then took a view, which was shares are going to stay, interest rates aren't going to stay this low, low for this long. Now, he then says separately, don't bet on the macro, and I get that too, but they both can't be true at the same time. I don't think you can actually have that conversation where you say, I don't care about the macro, but here's my view on the macro. And then by definition, the cash pile has added up and up and up and up over time. And I really don't think there is any other conclusion to draw than he looked at that and said, I think rates will go back up. Now, I think he was right. I don't think, he, again, I'm not, I don't think his view was wrong at all. I think his view was spot on. But that's very, very different in my opinion, in my view, to saying, well, obviously, macro doesn't matter. Or, uh, you know, if, if, if rates go up, then they're not cheap. I think, I think he did. I think he said, looked at that and said, I think they'll go up. Therefore, I don't think I should buy shares. Therefore, well, macro matters. At least that's my view. I don't know if you have a, a thought on that, but that, that's my take anyway. 
Yeah, I, I think you you probably could make that inference. The only the only mm. other thing might be, <laughs> oh, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing, but I, I know he has lamented in the past that there's just there's not enough good deals around. So it might yeah. be also on the individual merits of things, and it's not like he's looking globally and there's just no good deals out there for yeah. investors. He and I he. He's not able to invest in the kinds of things that you and I are. This is where this is an area where we have a huge advantage over someone like a Buffett and big fund managers. Is like he might find the greatest small cap ASX listed company in the world that's going to compound its its return to shareholders at fifty percent per annum for the next ten years. But what's he going to do? Buy out the entire company for fifty million dollars? Even if it does what he what he <laughs> expects, it just it just doesn't move the needle. So. Yeah. Um, with, yeah. with an exception, mate, with an exception. Mm. So I think that's right, except he said, he didn't say, uh, you know, really big, good deals are cheap. He said, share if rates are those shares are cheap. Now, that, that not not inexpensive, not fair value, but cheap. Mm. I, I, I'm going to, and look, I, I'm not going to bag Warren. He, he doesn't need my um, opinion. And frankly, as I said many times, if I disagree with Warren Buffett, generally I'm the one who's wrong. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I'm not saying he did the wrong thing either, by the way. But if, if shares are cheap, if, if that's he could have bought an S and P index fund. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I take your point about the size. He's not, he didn't say little Aussie tech companies are cheap, or or you know, t- tiny tiny uh, startups are cheap. He said shares are cheap. I, again, I'm not going to not meaning to bag him, but that would suggest to me that the outcome is well, okay, he can buy should he mm. want to mm. any any or, or the market, and, and they're cheap. They're, they're, he's going to get a good return from them, and I, I think that's so. I, let me let me let me kind of make a point, and then we'll move on. I, I think, to my mind, anyway. What it suggests is that Buffett is not trying to predict the macro. I'm, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go from bagging Buffett to then try to cover myself with Buffett's glory, trying to get some <laughs> referred, referred glory here from that. Because I think what I think what Buffett's actually implying by his actions and his words is kind of what I've said before, which is th- these things were so unusual that it actually, bro- you know, it, it mean he had to break the rule. He had to say, this is so extreme and unusual. These are post-war lows of rates. That's unusual. That's not going to continue. And I think, I think he had to make a call. I think you know he doesn't want to think about the macro. He's not predicting what rates will be by Christmas. But I think he, I think he, objectively, I think, I don't think we can avoid any other outcome than he's looked at that and gone, rates are low. I don't think they'll stay there that long. That's why I'm not buying. He's he's had a view on how likely it was that rates would remain that low. And I think that's that's where you kind of end up in that position of having to or choosing to. Make that call. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, even the world's greatest investors are going to have, have difficulties at, time. <laughs> some, <laughs> at times. There's some solace in that. Let's move on, mate. Let's, uh, let's finish off with just... just uh, we've sort of spent a lot of time talking about banks and interest rates and all sorts of stuff over the last couple of weeks. Again, because we've had to. Like, there, there is no, there's no other game in town. As I said, a lot of, a lot of listeners say they appreciate it. So thank you for mm. those who've, who got in touch. But... Uh, you know, we, 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 in a normal in a normal year, in normal circumstances, we'd be talking about everything but macro and bond rates and Credit Suisse and and goodness knows what. But here mm-hmm. we are. Yeah. Um, part of the result, and we talked about you know the so what for some of this stuff. One of the really, really, really big so what's has been the changing expectations of investors, and kind of as a result, the changing choices made by some particularly small and particularly tech companies yeah in response do you, do you want to you kind of made this point before we started recording so yeah uh, what are you what are you seeing mate how, how is that how is the changing rate environment macro environment changing what companies themselves are doing and not in the way that you might think 
So a, a big part of what we do within Strawman is that we, we try and sort of connect our members to, to managers, um, you know, right. ask them some questions and get a better understanding of the business. So we do about one a week, um, uh, mm. usually a little bit more. And we've been doing it for a while. And I just, my observation to you was just how, like every company is different. So there are different com- uh, questions, different considerations, but there's been a couple of things that have just been consistent across the board. And, and one of them has been when you start asking about stuff, it's all about how they're going to reduce costs and bring forward cash flow positivity. And a lot of these companies were running, well, they were burning cash um, for a long period of time and not, not um, necessarily recklessly. The, the, the output of all that investment and spend was very, very aggressive top line growth. So they had these, and particularly for tech, right? So especially as these new like markets are being disrupted and new markets are being opened up, um, you don't want to sort of be too conservative here. There's land grabs at stake here. So you spend, mm. you go out, you lock in as many people as you can. Don't worry, the money will come later. And it, 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 it was a narrative that I think it's fair to say was abused <laughs> or people, you know, were, were very happy yeah, yeah. to get on board with. But at the same time, it's not a silly narrative, mm-hmm. right? Like th- this is, if you and I have a new product, the world's never seen before. <laughs> and it's likely that if we don't do it, someone else or many other people will get on get onto it and, and start right. selling it out there. We want to get out there as much as we possibly can. Yeah, it means so cash. If we to a brand new social network, perhaps that uh, was going to link up the world and it was a book of faces or something, we might say, yes. there's other people out there doing the same thing at the same time. I, I, there's this thing called MySpace out there and they've already got a pretty good head start. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm going to win this thing, I, I need to do something different. Yeah. And that was the story of, well, all of them, really. I mean, look at Uber, just insanely cheap pricing. I mean, yeah, yeah. make losing money on a gross margin basis. Like, Which sounds, we're laughing because it sounds stupid, but, but the, I mean, that, Amazon did the same for years. I mean, this, yep. this is not unknown, unproven, unheard of, and it's, not, not, it's, it's been very successful in some cases. So yeah. it, as much as I'm laughing, it's not, it, it's, you know, it's, it seems stupid to deliberately go and sell something for less than it costs you to make. That's yeah. what it means to lose money at a gross margin level before any of the other costs. Yeah, before admin, exactly what, before right, corporate right. costs. I mean, even YouTube back in the day, yep. you know, there just wasn't right. many ads, right? Now, if you ever watch YouTube, it's just wall-to-wall <laughs> ads. It's, my God, it's yeah. infuriating. But that's, but they can do that now because if you're going to upload videos to the internet, where do you go? Mm. You go to YouTube yeah, and right. yes, yep, nothing. Yep. You go to YouTube. So, right. they've, so they've done it. They've said, we will trade profitability now for much bigger profitability later. So, right. so there is, I guess what I'm saying is while there a lot of companies sort of use that as cover to be very profligate in their spending (laughs) a lot of companies did it very effectively but the world has changed and the world has Mm. changed because uh capital markets have dried up so it's harder to raise equity finance it's harder to raise debt finance and so when i think can't think of a, a single exception in fact every company that we've spoken to really over the past three even longer months have been oh no 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 we're cutting costs and and we're we're gonna we're gonna get to cash flow positivity much 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 mm-hmm. sooner and you say okay why is that and i said well that's what the market wants and i push back on it a little bit because i feel as though I, I don't. I, I'm never a fan of of management teams that flip flop in line with with market sentiment and whatever the the preferred narrative is at the moment. So I've got to be careful here. Am I saying that they're wrong to do this? No. Some companies don't have a choice. They just simply don't have the cash there. So it's either like we cut, 
or we do we take on a bunch of debt at much more expensive rates or we highly dilute our shareholders so we're going to cut back in which case you go yep okay that 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 kind of makes sense there's also other companies out there that actually have pretty strong balance sheets and the rest and they're doing it and and i guess my argument is if you felt as though these were good investments to make last year and that view hasn't changed why would you and you've got the capacity to continue doing it without having to tap shareholders on the shoulder for extra money why on earth would you stop doing it just because mm. mr market yeah, that's right. in, exactly. you know who is just sort of yeah. all over yeah. the place and doesn't know what he wants has yeah. has now decided that this is the thing to do i, I feel mm. as though mm. i i mean there are always exceptions but i feel in in number of cases it's like no no no. if it was a good idea then it's a good idea now yeah, that's right exactly. push push forward and i say that in some yeah. cases as being shareholders of this company what, what, are, you, yeah, what are your yeah. thoughts on it no i think i mean you're dead right that, that's you know if if the if the strategy is is fairly if it's appropriate it's right then choosing to not to do it because you're going to hurt someone's feelings or maybe the share price is going to dip temporarily can you imagine jeff bezos 999 dot com crash right Mm. He says, oh, good point. Um, we had visions of making Amazon the world's biggest retailer with a cloud uh, storage and processing division and uh, we're going to buy Whole Foods and have a physical presence and all that kind of stuff. We're going to do all that, but look, no, 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 there's a dot-com crash. And so what we've decided, the, the market's told us that really what they want is profitability. So we're going we're gonna to proceed with being the biggest bookshop and just keep staying in America. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you think, yeah. about, think about what would have happened had Bezos said... Oh, I hear what the market's saying. We better be profitable. Actually, we'll only ever be so big. We'll end up being the, the second biggest bookshop in the country. Uh, we, can't, we, haven't got, we haven't got the funds to be bigger because we're, we're trying to get 20% gross margins and, and 10% net margins. So what we're going to do, we're going to start doing that now. Price are going to go up. Uh, we're not worried about you know world domination anymore. We're just going to try and make a little bit of money over here. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it sounds stupid to even say it in those words, but that's, and by the way, again, we use the example of Amazon. Not every other company is Amazon either, by the way. And so, yeah. you know, Yahoo should have pulled its horns in at that point and, yes. and plenty of others should have said, actually, what if we were profitable? That might help. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's only one way, but what I am saying is to your point, I completely agree that pulling your punches now, if you have big plans to revolutionize, change or get somewhere first, that's that's i mean that's potentially even more existential as a threat than than continuing to spend yeah on, mean, on, on the proviso pay, pay that is. they've got the firepower then yeah i agree exactly i agree exactly maybe you spend and you don't get there maybe you spend you do get there uh, you know versus if you don't spend you're definitely not going to get there mm. you might be the best little business in the country at that point and that's that's not necessarily even bad Matt as long as that's the expectation as long as that's what shareholders want at the end of the day the company's there to, to work for their shareholders if 51% of shareholders say stop spending then you're obliged to and you should because that's that's what this thing is about but the, the idea that somehow it was a great idea to spend a year ago and now it's the world's worst idea as you say funding notwithstanding if you're going to run out of money of course you do things differently because that's just the reality yeah. um, I, can, can I add very quickly Matt We'll, we'll finish this off but the other thing I wanted to just add is almost not the reverse of what you're saying at all but, but kind of a, a, a 90 degree turn mm. the other thing I think we see so regularly and we talked before about you know the Credit Suisse bondholders not imagining it could ever happen that maybe someone would actually you know activate that clause and wipe them out uh, there's there's a whole lot of companies that have had they predicated their entire growth strategy on always being able to go to the market and mm. always get more money and always get it at a good price and that was how they were going to do it yeah and i'm not even saying that as a company as, as a manager as an operator 
I'm not saying that's even the wrong strategy necessarily. What I'm going to reflect on is the shareholders who went along for that ride. Because if you say this is my strategy, death or glory, mm. that's cool. You know, if 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 we want to, uh, <laughs> one more example, if we want to if we want to build Phillips and Pages, you know, left-handed golf club emporium by you know betting the company that over the next five years we'll be able to raise money each six months for the next five years straight. And we know that might come badly. If, if we don't get to raise money, we'll, we'll, we'll go broke. Mm. And we're okay with that because we're going to take the risk that maybe it won't and maybe we'll be fine. And so we're taking that, that risk. We're saying, well, this is, this is the only strategy that makes sense. It's a, it's, a, it's a land grab. Everyone else is trying to make left-handed golf clubs as well. We've got to get there first. We've got to be biggest and we've got to do it in five years. Mm. There is a chance that if the, if the capital markets freeze up, we're going to go broke, but we'll take that risk because we think this is how we get there. The price that is, is perfectly appropriate strategy mm. if we choose it. It's risky, but it's our choice. Yeah. As a shareholder, if you're going to buy shares in particularly small and profitable businesses, mm. you've got to realize if that's the strategy, you are buying into that. They may never be that clear with it, but you're buying into that because if the markets freeze up, like we're seeing right now, <laughs> so, yeah, as, it, so, some are, as you say, some are choosing to do it, some are doing it because they have to. Some are saying, well, I've only got six months of cash left. I've just got to preserve it. Yeah. And, and if, you're, if you're a shareholder of a company, you've bought into a business that's burning cash, whether you believed it at the time, whether you knew it at the time, whether you were across it when you, kind of, you know, when you consciously considered it at the time or not, this is exactly where we are. And so I just want, I just want to make that point. Once, here's the other thing, mate. This is the time to learn these lessons, right? Because in five or seven years, it'll happen again. Oh, yeah. Markets are horribly cyclical, right? So mm. if you're listening to this now, <laughs> you've been, maybe you've been burnt by it, maybe you haven't. But, and I'm not saying it's bad. If you, if you want to bet on 10 companies doing that, Maybe they work. I've said before, Musk himself has said Tesla would have gone broke if there'd been a recession earlier in its life. Mm. And and the result is no recession. Look how much value has been created. Was it worth the punt? I, well, everyone says yes now because they won. Mm. Uh, but next time around, the next Tesla, maybe it's maybe it's not that lucky. Or yep. conversely, the business that have now run out of cash, maybe in a different environment, there was no COVID recession. Uh, and they're now you know horribly successful and wonderful and we're saying why would you ever doubt it what, what could possibly have gone wrong mm. uh, so just a reminder if you're a shareholder to know what your management strategy is and have a really really clear-eyed view on what the potential risks and upsides of that are because in circumstances like these we've run out of cash you've run out of cash um, that was always the strategy it didn't play out and and that's you, you just you get what you get that, that's the net result of, of that strategy again could have been great wasn't uh, but you need to know that you know what you're doing yeah and a big part of it too for me is it's whatever the strategy is what i mm. what i demand most from management is clarity around that um so you've got a particular vision this is why some of the, the smaller companies that have very la- large insider earnings founder-led yeah. where they 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 have <laughs> been a lot more prudently run they don't they don't yep. they don't um ebb and flow with market sounds like no we're doing this we've always said we're doing this and we're doing this again so you mm-hmm. can agree with the strategy or you can disagree with it that's a, that's a secondary point for me it's just like well even if it failed i do respect and appreciate the clarity of vision and you you being um, uh, consistent with shareholders in letting them know what the plan is and then they can make their own judgment they can make their own judgment after that fact it's what sticks in micro is the oh we spoke to a couple of 27 year old mm. analysts and they now want us to do this so we're going to do this right, oh right right exactly. now this is the new flavor of the day so we're mm. going to do this now it's like no 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 you you, you this is going to sound horrible but to a point you've got to say stuff to shareholders you you i think you very much for invest for companies you get the shareholders you deserve there are some companies out there like arb is a great um uh, founder-led company that is 
that has a very loyal shareholder base because, well, one, they've delivered over many, many years, but they've just been so consistent in their vision. Promaticus is another one. There's there's a bunch of them out there. Dicadata, another one as well, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's sort of... That that, that it, it's not so much that you may have made a mistake and you've decided to pivot and there are now good reasons for that. In fact, a couple of companies we spoke to just this week, we spoke to Whisper, who do sort of communications uh, solutions for corporates and IMAX right. HS, who do sort of radiology screening. They've both really slowed down in their US expansion. Mm, and in speaking yeah. to them, it's just like, well, it wasn't getting the traction that we thought. It's like, oh, the, too often the knee-jerk reaction from the mar or investors is, whoa, look, you idiots, what did you do? And it's like, actually, <laughs> so again, I'll go, I'll, I'll go against mm. the trend here and say, well, anyone who's run a business, all you do is you go, I think here's an opportunity, I think this is a viable strategy and you do it. You're not all seeing and all knowing, no matter how great an entrepreneur you are. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. do you know? So trying, yeah. trying something on a, on a set of reasonable expectations mm -hmm. is not a mistake. The, the bigger mistake is is putting your head in the stand and barreling ahead when all evidence suggests that it's not working. So so again, it's sort of like, you know, I, I if things do change, well, straight up, very clear in our strategy, our rationale, the opportunity that we're chasing and sticking to that as long as it makes sense and just being clear with shareholders. If you do change, front up to it we thought it was a good idea it turns out it wasn't again you do that long enough and consistent enough and every company makes missteps along the way and you know i think you actually get a better set of shareholders who are far more forgiving and understanding with that and i just make the point i just i i, I just contrast that with the management team that flips and flops whichever way the wind blows that's that's the strategy <laughs> that we're, we're producing yeah yeah that's right Mate, I reckon we've done this one. Will you uh, will you join me again on Sunday? I will. Just a little inside baseball and a, and a, a little little apology to those that are listening. Oh, so we've had a couple of interruptions <laughs> in this no, recording. We have indeed. Um, some tradespeople have rocked up to the house. So <laughs> for those following the long-running rental saga that I'm going through. <laughs> Someone oh, called me yesterday and said, we're coming. I said, I'm actually doing some recording. Can you come later? Never heard back. Anyway, these blokes have rocked up and there's now an industrial <laughs> sander on one of the floors. So, and then the electricity dropped out because they blew a fuse. And so uh, Link, our, uh, our wonderful oh, editor, uh, will we'll, we'll have stitched that together really well. But if uh, just yeah, apologies if you've heard any sort of strange... <laughs> segues on background noise there um this will sound seamless because link's a wonderful wonderful editor but you're right mate it's been a i can i say mate, i wish i wish i'd known i, I should have known frankly i've known you for long enough we should have had a film crew with you guys as you were looking for this place because the saga has been astonishing i reckon this would have been some spectacularly great reality tv oh man i missed um, a missed a chance next time we move i'm hiring a film crew <laughs> nah, you really should i'm just going to dominate the ratings so yeah i love it <laughs> good love plan it. <laughs> so so maybe if if you're listening to our next episode it is on sunday we've been successful if not well you'll have to wait and see how's that for cliffhanger Maybe there's an episode on Sunday. Maybe there's not. We'll have to see. And just to paint a picture, I'm, I'm sitting on a, uh, a plastic chair out in my backyard um, with batteries that will hopefully hold out just to get away a bit from the noise and stuff as well. So it's, I'm, sure, I'm sure some people think there's a like, very expensive studio. We've got like the, uh, <laughs> That's right. the Bose headset on and these whiz-bang mics. It's, yeah, maybe destroy some of the... the um... <laughs> theatre of the mind. Theater yeah, theatre of the mind, as you say. Yeah, yeah. I hope... I will see you on Sunday then. Yes, let's fingers crossed. And until then, full on. Cheers. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.